Every year, there is a gathering of pastors, pastors of some of the largest churches in America, and they gather somewhere in the, in the U.S. once a year to share life, to share ideas. It was a few years ago in San Antonio, it was our turn to host this gathering. I had just become a campus minister and I knew that I had a lot to learn. So I thought, this is my chance. If I could just be anywhere near these guys, maybe I could learn a few things here or there. Maybe something would rub off. And then my opportunity came. I found out that they needed someone to drive the van and shuttle them to the golf course. So I raised my hand and I said, I am in that, I am your man right here. And so I took them to the golf course and it was awesome getting to spend some time with them. And then when we got there, they said, hey, why don't you just get a golf cart? You can just stay here and just drive around maybe. And so I did. And I got to go from group to group and it was awesome to meet some of the guys and to, to learn a lot of things from them. And, and then I came up on this one group that I kind of had to compose myself just a little bit. I, I had to, you know, act like I'd been there before. I mean, I, I was just new to all of this. And, and this particular group, well, Max was in this group. And another one of my preaching heroes of all time, Dave Stone from Southeast in Louisville. I walked up there and now my plan was just to hang back and just to watch and, you know, maybe have some conversation, you know, in between shots or, or whatever. But this was the first time that I ever met Dave. And what I would learn about Dave is that he is the most inclusive person on the earth. Yeah, I was going to hang back, but he insisted that I step up to the tee box and take a swing. I insisted that I sit back. He walks over to me, he places a driver in my hand and declares to everyone, everyone is having fun today. Fun is not exactly what I was thinking in that moment because I, I didn't have the heart to tell Dave I never played golf before. I mean, I'd probably swung a, a club like 20 years before, like when I was back in high school, like maybe once. So I was beginning to pray as I stepped up to the box and I was praying, God, if you could make a distraction, a diversion of some sort, like right now, this would be really good. I mean, I didn't have to impress anyone, but I just didn't want to embarrass myself. And so I stepped up there and I was going to give it my best shot. And right in my backswing, Dave said, stop, stop, stop. No, here, I got to get my phone out. I got to get some video of this. This is going to be awesome. I was liking Dave less and less by the minute. I stepped up and I took the biggest swing and gave it my best shot. And guys, I'm telling you, I, I missed. No, I, I missed everything. All that you could hear was a whoosh. It was quiet. And then Dave was the one that stepped up and said, good, good practice swing. That was a good practice swing. Your swing is looking strong, my man. Here, I'm going to reset the video. Let's, let's kind of take another shot at that. So I did. And I stepped up and I took another big swing. And I hit that ball. And the tee. And most of the ground. Grass was flying everywhere. I'm, I'm, I, I wish I was making this up. Grass was flying everywhere. And I, I mean, that was the biggest divot that that tee box had ever seen. I mean, I was dumping out like all of the sand just trying to, to cover it up. And it was, it was quite embarrassing. And well, that's when Max stepped up. And he said, you get a mulligan. 
I said, a, a mullow what? Uh, he said, you know, a mulligan, a do-over. Like, none of that counts. And you can just do over. I wish I could tell you that that day I found my game. But what I can tell you is that I did find my favorite part of the game. The do-over. The do-over. I love the idea of the do-over. Now, here's the thing. Don't you wish that life were like golf? I mean, what if, what if it were? What if, what if golf were, were like life? You hit a bad shot and you just say, do-over. Last week, my young nephew got to hold the iPad during their church's online streaming. And he was resting his thumb on the screen, but what he didn't realize is that he was resting his thumb over the emoji part of it. And he was hitting emojis, but not just any emoji, on the church's Facebook Live chat. It was the mad face emoji. Not once, but over and over and over on my brother's account. When my brother finally figured out what was going on, my young nephew, he wanted to do over. I mean, think about it. Bad investment, do over. Bad relationship, do over. You fail the test, do over. You say something that you should not have said, do over. Or you, you get pulled over and the officer's beginning to write that. And you say, officer, you don't have to write that ticket. It's okay because today <laughs> I'll be taking a do over. Or what about this one? 2020. I mean, come on. Do over, right? I mean, I think the more we reflect on 2020, the more that we're gonna see God's faithfulness and we are going to be thankful for how God brought us through it. There is a lot to be thankful for, but I understand if you are ready to step up and to take another swing and just move on. I understand if you're ready for a do-over. Or the word that scripture uses more often, this word right here. Mercy, mercy. You see, mercy says that when you make a mess, instead of receiving the consequence of that mess, you receive kindness and compassion, forgiveness. You see, mercy shines where messes exist. And whether it's a mess that you made or one that you just got caught up in, instead of condemnation, Receiving forgiveness. Mercy is the ultimate do-over. Today, I want to share with you how to receive a do-over. Not, not in the game of golf, but in life where it matters. And I want to show you how Jesus offers us the ultimate do-over. Because here's the thing, friends. Scripture is clear we all need one. Let's look at this. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Or how about this one in Romans? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Scripture's pretty clear that we all need a do-over. Everyone, all, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. 
this would be a theme throughout Scripture. God's people stray, but God stays. God's people would come to know God's mercy very intimately from the very beginning. If we go back to Exodus, we are going to begin to see that God would show his people great mercy. God had told his people that he was going to come and dwell among them, that he was going to tabernacle among them. And he gave them strict instructions of how to build his house, his sanctuary, the tabernacle. And within the tabernacle was the most holy place. And within the most holy place, maybe you've heard of it, was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant were cherubim, two of them. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was something called the atonement cover, or more traditionally called the mercy seat. And God would give them instructions of how to build it. Let's read from Exodus. He gave them instructions. Make a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. At its two ends, make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim are to have wings spread out above, covering the mercy seat with their wings and are to face one another. The faces of the cherubim should be toward the mercy seat. Set the mercy seat on top of the ark and put the tablets of testimony that I will give you into the ark. And get this, God says, I will meet with you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you from there about all that I have commanded you regarding the Israelites. God is saying to these wandering, golden calf worshiping Israelites, I want to meet with you. And here's where I'm going to meet with you. At the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where I want to meet with my people. There you will receive forgiveness, atonement for sins. God would gather there and he would say, we're going to meet, but this meeting would come at a cost. You see, God is both the God of mercy and of justice. And so this meeting would come at a cost. The book of Leviticus sheds a, a little bit of light on this because here's what happens. Once a year, the high priest, and only once a year, and only the high priest could go into that most holy place, the holy of holies. And once a year, here's what would happen. He is to take, this is the high priest, he is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. When he slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle it against, and here it is again, the mercy seat and in front of it. 
He will make atonement for the most holy place in this way, for all their sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. And there it is again. These Israelites, in spite of their rebellion, God is still seeking relationship. And he's teaching them that there is a cost to this meeting place. There is a a cost to this humanity and God being able to meet in this place. And the price is blood. But God was doing something else. He was He was telling them that something was to come. As many times as we read through the Old Testament, what we see is that God, he is pointing to something to come. And God, through the Holy Spirit, is pointing to something coming, something new. And this is where the the writer of Hebrews sheds some light on what has taken place. The Holy Spirit, was making it clear, this is what was happening, the Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. This is referring to a time after the tabernacle when they had the temple and they were still bringing the sacrifices, but it could not perfect the worshiper's conscience. Why? Because they are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. The new order. There was something new coming. You see, they were under the old covenant and there was a new covenant that was coming and it was a good thing because the tabernacle, the most holy place, the, the mercy seat. You see, it was, a, it was a physical regulation. It was an external ritual. And it could only deal with the external. And what we needed was something that could deal with the internal. Something that could deal with the transformation that we sought from the inside out. And so a new covenant was coming. And under the new covenant, here's what would happen. Remember what God had told his people. He said, I want to meet with you at the mercy seat. There you will meet with me and you will receive forgiveness. Under the new covenant, Jesus Christ would become our mercy seat. And because he did, because he did, mercy saves us. Jesus became our mercy seat and then now this is the place where we will meet with God. Jesus is the place where we find salvation, where we find forgiveness. Mercy saves us. The Hebrew writer goes on in just the next couple verses to help us understand how is it that Jesus became the mercy seat. He goes on, he says, but Christ has appeared. But Christ has appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Therefore, 
He is the mediator. And there it is, of a new covenant. Something new had come. We needed something new. And through Jesus Christ, it came because he is now our mediator. And friends, this is good news. I love a good courtroom drama. In fact, some of my my favorites are when someone steps up before the judge and the judge says, who's going to represent you? And they say to the judge, I'll be representing myself. And they stand before the judge and they, they plead their case and they represent themselves. And then the moment comes when the judge renders his verdict and the gavel comes down with a not guilty and the crowd goes wild and the credits roll and, and he's declared not guilty. Friends, can I tell you, this is not one of those stories. Because we stand at the mercy of the court. And you see, God has an airtight case against us. Scripture makes this clear and reminds us if we say we have no sin, come on, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. It also tells us as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. For by works of the law, No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And finally, for the wages of sin is death. I have no chance before the judgment seat unless I meet God at the mercy seat. And because of Jesus, I can This is how we know, because mercy, it's where I receive, not what I deserve, but it's the place that I receive what I am desperate for. First Timothy tells us that for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And who is it? It is the man, Christ Jesus. He is the one mediator. He is the one who can save us. But Jesus not only wanted us to understand that mercy saves us, he also wanted us to understand that mercy seeks us. It would not have been a new idea. The people hearing Jesus in his teaching, it would not have been a new idea for God to offer humanity salvation. In fact, most world religions offer some sort of system, some sort of, of, of ladder, if you will. You know, the one where God is up here and we're down here, and there's some system or there's some rules or there's some regulations, things to do, things to not do, ways that you can take steps to achieve your way to God, to earn your way to God, to appease God, to have peace with God, to become a God yourself, to achieve nirvana. All world religions have some system of this, basically, where there's a ladder. But here's where, here's where it differs. You see, this is where the true gospel of Jesus Christ differs. 
Because in the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. And what did Christ do? He came down the ladder to where we are. He sought us. If you are looking today for salvation, you need not search further because salvation has found you. you. This teaching, this would have been new and it would have been scandalous. Make no mistake, it was this message that got Jesus crucified. But he could not help teach it. Then he taught them this parable. Jesus taught them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus went on, he said, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Jesus wants us to know that mercy not only saves us, but mercy seeks us out. What does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds the one. You see, this is a new idea. This is different. God does not sit up on top of the ladder, looking down the ladder saying, hey, good luck. No. You see, God came down the ladder to us, to meet us where we are. You see, while we were still making messes, well, here's how Romans says this. Romans 5 and 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still making messes, while we were still with no thought to God, enemies, scripture says, while we were enemies of God, Jesus was already making his way down the ladder. This is the true gospel of Jesus. That mercy seeks us. And then, final point. Mercy sends us. Mercy saves us. Mercy seeks us. But mercy also sends us. It is the beginning of a new year. And I am praying, and I want to invite you to join me in praying for a, a new move of the Spirit. A move of the Spirit that would move some good shepherds to go find some lost sheep. Here at Oak Hills, we are disciples who make disciples by guiding all people to follow Jesus moment by moment. Why? Because mercy sends us. In John chapter 20, verse 21, he tells us, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. 
Jesus was so confident in this. Because here's what he understood. He understood that the more we understand the mercy that we have received, the more mercy we will give to others. The more, uh, more a person has mercy, the more that they will give. And, and Jesus knew this. He was so confident in this that to the point that he said to his disciples and he says to us today, I'm sending you. This is a new year. But you can have more than a new year. In Christ, you can have mercy that is new every single morning. Every morning you wake up, you can receive new mercy. If you have not received that mercy, it is not too late. You can do that today. Just placing your faith and your trust in your mediator, in your mercy seat, Jesus Christ. You can have that mercy. You can receive that mercy today, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you feel like you have gone away from God. You can receive that. That is step number one. I want to encourage you to do that today. But if you have found that mercy... Here's my prayer, that the mercy that we have found will take us to the places mercy goes. That the mercy that we've found will take us to the places that mercy goes. It had been a few years uh, since I had seen Dave. We met up again a few years later, and, and you'll never guess where. Well, actually, you might guess. It was on a golf course. Dave, I was in his group playing along with Dave this time, and uh, we began with a prayer. And to this day, I'm convinced that uh, and Dave stepped up, hit a great shot, but I'm convinced that, that his shot soaked up all the prayer because I stepped up. It was not good. I Over the years, I had not learned a whole lot about the game of golf. But I had learned something about the beauty of the do-over. If you need another shot in golf, call it. But if what you need is another shot in life, you need to call on the name of Jesus. This is a new year. Would you let him save you? Would you let him seek you? Would you let him send you to your best year yet? And friend, when that day comes, and it is coming, Christ is going to return. And on that day, you can stand before the judgment seat because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can meet God at the mercy seat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for Jesus, the place that, that we can come. And in him, our mediator, the one that represents us, that we might not get what we deserve but that we would get what we are desperate for. We thank you for compassion. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for forgiveness. 
We thank you for your goodness for us. And Father, we thank you that it's not just a one-time do-over, but that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you in the powerful name of your Son and our mediator, Jesus Christ. And all those who agreed said, Amen.